0: chapter 1 of the fathers of new england this is a librivox recording all librivox recordings are in the public domain for more information or to volunteer please visit librivox.org the fathers of new england by charles andrews chapter 1 the coming of the pilgrims the pilgrims and puritans whose migration to the new world marks the beginning of permanent settlement in new england were children of the same age as the enterprising and adventurous pioneers of england in virginia bermuda and the caribbean it was the age in which the foundations of the british empire were being laid in the western continent the spacious times of great elizabeth had passed but the new national spirit born of those times stirred within the english people the kingdom had enjoyed sixty years of domestic peace and prosperity and englishmen were eager to enter the lists for a share in the advantages which the new world offered to those who would venture therein both landowning and landholding classes gentry and tenant farmers alike were clamoring the one for an increase of their landed estates the other for freedom from the feudal restraints which still legally bound them the land hunger of neither class could be satisfied in a narrow island where the law and the lawgivers were in favor of the maintenance of feudal rights the expectations of all were aroused by visions of wealth from the eldorados of the west or of profit from commercial enterprises which appealed to the cupidity of capitalists and led to investments that promised speedy and ample returns a desire to improve social conditions and to solve the problem of the poor and the vagrant which had become acute since the dissolution of the monasteries was arousing the authorities to deal with the pauper and to dispose of the criminal in such a way as to yield a profitable service to the kingdom england was full of resolute men sea-dogs and soldiers of fortune captains on the land as well as the sea who in times of peace were seeking employment and profit and who needed an outlet for their energies some of these continued in the service of kings and princes in europe others conducted enterprises against the spaniards in the west indies and along the spanish main while still others such as john smith and miles standish became pioneers in the work of english colonization but more important than the promptings of land hunger and the desire for wealth and adventure was the call made by a social and religious movement which was but a phase of the general restlessness and popular discontent the reformation in which this movement had its origin was more than a revolt from the organization and doctrines of the medieval church it voiced the yearning of the middle classes for a position commensurate with their growing prominence in the national life though the feudal tenantry given over to agriculture and bound by the conventions of feudal law were still perpetuating many of the old customs the towns were emancipating themselves from feudal control and by means of their wealth and industrial activities were winning recognition as independent and largely self-sufficing units the guild a closely compacted brotherhood existing partly for religious and educational purposes and partly for the control of handicrafts and the exchange of goods became the centre of middle-class energy and in thousands of instances hedged in the lives of the humbler artisans thus it was largely from those who knew no wider world than the fields which they cultivated and the guilds which governed their standards and output that the early settlers of new england were recruited equally important with the social changes were those which concerned men's faith and religious organization the peace of augsburg which in fifteen fifty five had closed for the moment the warfare resulting from the reformation not only recognized the right of protestantism to exist but also handed over to each state whether kingdom duchy or principality full power to control the creed within its borders whoever ruled the state could determine the religion of his subjects a dictum which denied the right of individuals or groups of individuals to depart from the established faith hence arose a second revolt not against the mediaeval church and empire but against the authority of the state and its creed whether roman catholic anglican lutheran or calvinist a revolt in which huguenot in france battled for his right to believe as he wished and puritan in england refused to conform to a manner of worship which retained much of the mediaeval liturgy and ceremonial just as all great revolutionary movements in church or state give rise to men who repudiate tradition and all accretions due to human experience and base their political and religious ideals upon the law of nature the rights of man the inner light or the word of god so too in england under elizabeth and james i leaders appeared who demanded radical changes in faith and practice and advocated complete separation from the anglican church and isolation from the religious world about them of such were the separatists who rejected the anglican and other creeds severed all bonds with a national church system cast aside form ceremony liturgy and a hierarchy of church orders and sought for the true faith and form of worship in the word of god for these men the bible was the only test of religious truth the separatists organized themselves into small religious groups as independent communities or companies of christians covenanted with god and keeping the divine law in a holy communion they consisted in the main of men and women in the humbler walks of life artisans tenant farmers with some middle-class gentry sufficient to themselves and knit together in the fashion of a guild or brotherhood they believed in a church system of the simplest form and followed the bible old and new testaments alike as the guide of their lives desiring to withdraw from the world as it was that they might commune together in direct relations with god they accepted persecution as the test of their faith and welcomed hardship banishment and even death as proofs of righteousness and truth Convinced of the scriptural soundness of what they believed and what they practised and confident of salvation through unyielding submission to god's will as they interpreted it they became conspicuous because of their radical thought and peculiar forms of worship and inevitably drew upon themselves the attention of the authorities both secular and ecclesiastical the leading centres of separatism were in london and norfolk but the seat of the little congregation that eventually led the way across the sea to new england was in scrooby in nottinghamshire there in scrooby manor house where william brewster the father was receiver and bailiff and his son the future elder of the plymouth colony was acting postmaster where richard clayton preached and john robinson prayed and where the youthful william bradford was one of its members there was gathered a small separatist congregation composed of humble folk of nottinghamshire and adjoining counties they were soon discovered worshipping in the manor-house chapel by the ecclesiastical authorities of yorkshire and for more than a year were subjected to persecution some being taken and clapped up in prison others having their houses beset and watched night and day and hardly escaped their hands at length they determined to leave england for holland during sixteen hundred and seven and sixteen hundred and eight they escaped secretly some at one time some at another all with great loss and difficulty until by the august of the latter year there were gathered at amsterdam more than a hundred men women and children armed with faith and patience but amsterdam proved a disappointing refuge and in sixteen hundred and nine they moved to leyden a fair and beautiful city where for eleven years they remained pursuing such trades as they could chiefly weaving and the manufacture of cloth enjoying much sweet and delightful society and spiritual comfort together in the ways of god under the able ministry and prudent government of mr john robinson and mr william brewster but at last new and imperative reasons arose demanding a third removal not to another city in holland but this time to the new world called america they were breaking under the great labor and hard fare they feared to lose their language and saw no opportunity to educate their children they disapproved of the lax dutch observance of sunday and saw in the temptations of the place a menace to the habits and morals of the younger members of the flock and in the influences of the world around them a danger to the purity of their creed and their practice they determined to go to a new country devoid of all civil inhabitants where they might keep their names their faith and their nationality after many misgivings the fateful decision was reached by the major part and preparations for departure were made but where to go became a troublesome problem the merits of guiana and the other wild coasts were debated but finally virginia met with general approval because there they might live as a private association a distinct body by themselves similar to other private companies already established there to this end they sent two of their number to england to secure a patent from the virginia company of london under this patent and in bond of allegiance to king james yet acting as a body in the most strict and sacred bond and covenant of the lord an independent and absolute church they became a civil community also with governors chosen for the work from among themselves but the dissensions in the london company caused them to lose faith in that association and hearing of the reorganization of the virginia company of plymouth which about this time obtained a new charter as the new england council they turned from southern to northern virginia that is to new england and resolved to make their settlement where according to reports fishing might become a means of livelihood but their plans could not be executed without assistance and coming into touch with a london merchant thomas weston who promised to aid them they entered into what proved to be a long and wearisome negotiation with a group of adventurers gentlemen merchants and others seventy in number for an advance of money to finance the expedition the pilgrims entered into a partnership with the merchants to form a voluntary joint-stock company it was understood that the merchants who purchased shares were to remain in england that the colonists who contributed their personal service at a fixed rating were to go to america there to labor at trade trucking and fishing for seven years and that during this time all profits were to remain in a common stock and all lands to be left undivided the conditions were hard and discouraging but there was no alternative and at last embarking at delft haven in the speedwell a small ship bought and fitted in holland they came to southampton where another and larger vessel the mayflower was in waiting in august sixteen twenty the two vessels set sail but the speedwell proving unseaworthy put back after two attempts and the mayflower went on alone bearing one hundred and two passengers two-thirds of the whole picked out as worthy and willing to undertake the voyage the mayflower reached the waters of new england on the eleventh of november after a tedious course of sixty-five days from plymouth to cape cod but they did not decide on their place of landing until the twenty first of december four days later they erected on the site of the town of plymouth their first building the coast of new england was no unknown shore during the years from sixteen hundred and seven to sixteen twenty while settlers were founding permanent colonies at jamestown and in bermuda explorers and fishermen both english and french had skirted its headlands and penetrated its harbors in sixteen fourteen john smith the famous virginia pioneer who had left the service of the london company and was in the employ of certain london merchants had explored the northern coast in an open boat and had given the region its name these many voyages and ventures at trading and fishing served to arouse enthusiasm in england for a world of good rivers and harbors rich soil and wonderful fishing and to spread widely a knowledge of the coasts from newfoundland to the hudson river of this knowledge the pilgrims reaped the benefit and the captain of the mayflower christopher jones against whom any charge of treachery may be dismissed guided them it is true to a region unoccupied by englishmen but not to one unknown or poorly esteemed the miseries that confronted the pilgrims during their first year in plymouth colony were not due to the inhospitality of the region but to the time of year when they landed upon it and insufficiently provisioned as they were before they left england it is little wonder that suffering and death should have accompanied their first experience with a new england winter this little group of men and women landed on territory that had been granted to the new england council and they themselves had neither patent for their land nor royal authority to set up a government but some form of government was absolutely necessary before starting from southampton they had followed robinson's instructions to choose a governor and assistants for each ship to order the people by the way and now that they were at the end of their long voyage the men of the company met in the cabin of the mayflower and drew up a covenant in accordance with which they combined themselves together into a body politic for their better ordering and preservation this compact signed by forty-one members of whom eleven bore the title of mister was a plantation covenant the political counterpart of the church covenant which bound together every separatist community it provided that the people should live together in a peaceable and orderly manner under civil authorities of their own choosing and was the first of many such covenants entered into by new england towns not defining a government but binding the settlers to unite politically as they had already done for religious worship john carver who had been chosen governor on the mayflower was confirmed as governor of the settlement and given one assistant after their goods had been set on shore and a few cottages built the whole body met and consulted of laws and orders both for their civil and military government still adding thereunto as urgent occasion in several times and as cases did require of this courageous but sorely stricken community more than half died before the first winter was over but gradually the people became acclimated new colonists came out some from the community at leyden in the fortune the anne the charity and the handmaid and the numbers steadily increased the settlers were in the main a homogeneous body both as to social class and to religious views and purpose among them were undesirable members some were sent out by the english merchants and others came out of their own accord who played stool-ball on sunday committed theft or set the community by the ears as did one notorious offender named lifford but their number was not great for most of them remained but a short time and then went to virginia or elsewhere or were shipped back to england by the pilgrims as incorrigibles the life of the people was predominantly agricultural with fishing salt-making and trading with the indians as allied interests the partners in england sent overseas cattle stock and laborers and as their profits depended on the success of the settlement did what they could to encourage its development the position of the pilgrims was that of sharers and partners with the merchants from whom they received directions but not commands but under the agreement of sixteen twenty with their partners in london which remained in force for seven years the plymouth people could neither divide their land nor dispose of the products of their labor and so burdensome became this arrangement that in sixteen twenty three temporary assignments of land were made which in sixteen twenty four became permanent as bradford said and his comment is full of wisdom the experience that was had in this common course and condition tried sundry years and that amongst godly and sober men may well evince the vanity of that conceit of plato's and other ancients applauded by some of later times that the taking away of property and bringing in community into a commonwealth would make them happy and flourishing as if they were wiser than god for this community so far as it was was found to breed much confusion and discontent and retard much employment that would have been to their benefit and comfort for the young men that were most able and fit for labour and service did repine that they should spend their time and strength to work for other men's wives and children without any recompense the strong or man of parts had no more in division of victuals and clothes than he that was weak and not able to do a quarter the other could this was thought injustice the aged and graver men to be ranked and equalized in labors and victuals clothes etc with the meaner and younger sort thought it some indignity and disrespect into them and for men's wives to be commanded to do service for other men as dressing their meat washing their clothes etc they deemed it a kind of slavery neither could many husbands well brook it during the two years that followed so evident was the failure of the joint undertaking that efforts were made on both sides to bring it to an end for the merchants with no profit from the enterprise were anxious to avoid further indebtedness and the colonists wearying of the dual control wished to reap for themselves the full reward of their own efforts under the new arrangement of small private properties the settlers began to prize corn as more precious than silver and those that had some to spare began to trade one with another for small things by the quart pottle and peck etc for money they had none later finding their corn what they could spare from their necessities to be a commodity for they sold it at six shillings a bushel they used great diligence in planting the same and the governor and such as were designed to manage the trade for it was retained for the general good and none were to trade in particular they followed it to the best advantage they could and wanting trading goods they understood that a plantation which was at monhegan and belonged to some merchants of plymouth england was to break up and divers useful goods was there to be sold the governor bradford himself and edward winslow took a boat and some hands and went thither with these goods and their corn after harvest they got good store of trade so as they were enabled to pay their engagements against the time and to get some clothing for the people and had some commodities beforehand though conditions were hard and often discouraging the pilgrims gradually found themselves self-supporting and as soon as this fact became clear they sent isaac allerton to england to make a composition with the adventurers as a result of the negotiations an agreement or bargain was made whereby eight leading members of the colony bought the shares of the merchants for one thousand eight hundred pounds and distributed the payment among the settlers who at this time numbered altogether about three hundred each share carried with it a certain portion of land and livestock the debt was not finally liquidated until sixteen forty two by sixteen thirty the plymouth colony was fairly on its feet and beginning to grow in outward estate the settlers increased in number prospered financially and scattered to the outlying districts and plymouth the town and plymouth the colony ceased to be identical before sixteen forty the latter had become a cluster of ten towns each a covenanted community with its church and elder though the colony never obtained a charter of incorporation from the crown it developed a form of government arising naturally from its own needs by sixteen thirty three its governor and one assistant had become a governor and seven assistants elected annually at a primary assembly held in plymouth town and the three parts governor assistants and assembly together constituted the governing body of the colony in sixteen thirty six a revision of the laws and ordinances was made in the form of the great fundamentals a sort of constitution frequently interspersed with statements of principles which was printed with editions in sixteen seventy one the right to vote was limited at first to those who were members of the company and liable for its debt but later the suffrage was extended to include others than the first comers and in sixteen thirty three was exercised by sixty-eight persons altogether in sixteen sixty eight a voter was required to have property to be of sober and peaceable conversation and to take an oath of fidelity but apparently he was never required to take the oath of allegiance to the crown so rapidly did the colony expand that by sixteen thirty nine the holding of a primary assembly in plymouth town became so inconvenient that delegates had to be chosen thus there was introduced into the colony a form of representative government though it is to be noted that governor assistants and deputies sat together in a common room and never divided into two houses as did the assemblies in other colonies the settlement of plymouth colony is conspicuous in new england history because of the faith and courage and suffering of those who engaged in it and because of the ever alluring charm of william bradsford's history of plymouth plantation the greatness of the pilgrims lay in their illustrious example and in the influence they exercised upon the church life of the later new england colonies for to the pilgrims was due the fact that the congregational way of organization and worship became the accepted form in massachusetts and connecticut but in other respects plymouth was vastly overshadowed by her vigorous neighbors her people humble and simple were without importance in the world of thought literature or education their intellectual and material poverty lack of business enterprise unfavorable situation and defenseless position in the eyes of the law rendered them almost a negative factor in the later life of new england no great movement can be traced to their initiation no great leader to birth within their borders and no great work of art literature or scholarship to those who belong to this unpretending company the pilgrim fathers stand rather as an emblem of virtue than a moulding force in the life of the nation chapter one